This is what we call Holy Week in the, uh, the church tradition. And it starts uh, with this Sunday. Uh, it's one week out of the year uh, where we, we celebrate uh, basically uh, Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. Not that we don't celebrate that all the time, but we set aside this week to uh, put special emphasis on it. And it starts with Palm Sunday, uh, which is today. And so why do we call it Palm Sunday? That sounds like a, a weird name, right? Like, what, what is that? Um, well, it goes back to when uh, the week before, um, the Sunday before uh, Jesus uh, was crucified on that following Friday, um, he entered into Jerusalem. And uh, this is referred to as, uh, in some places, as the triumphant entry. Uh, but this is uh, it's the, the story of uh, Jesus sent two of his disciples um, into town uh, to find a donkey. He said, hey, there's going to be this donkey over in this place. Um, it's never been ridden before. Um, I want you to go get it and bring it to me, and I'm going to ride it into town. Now, any, has anybody had any experience with riding animals before? Has anyone ever ridden an animal that is the first time that animal has been ridden? Yes, it is not a pleasant experience at all, uh, because what are they going to do, especially a donkey of all animals? They're going to buck and throw and all that kind of stuff. Well, Jesus, being Jesus, the worker of miracles, um, he just, you know, they throw a coat on the thing, he sits down on it, and the donkey just, okay, I'm going to walk into town now. Um, And so the donkey's carrying Jesus into town, Um, his disciples are coming along. And all these people that had kind of been following Jesus and the crowd that had been around him, they get really excited um, because what were they expecting Jesus to do? They were expecting Jesus to come be this mighty um, ruler, uh, this power, powerful military guy that was going to come and set up a kingdom. Um, he was going to be their king, and finally they were going to be free of their oppressors, and, uh, and they were going to be the real deal, uh, right? That's what they were looking for. And so all these people say, you know, they knew there's a prophecy about this king that was supposed to come, and he was going to come riding on a donkey. And so they see Jesus riding on a donkey, and they get really excited. And, uh, and so they just come out, and this was before you have paved streets, so it's all dirt. And they're like, well, hey, we don't want our king, even this little donkey he's riding, walking in the dirt. Um, so they start throwing down their coats. Well, then they run out of coats, and so they, they run over um, into the, the woods around and start cu- cutting palm branches. And they bring those palm branches and lay them down um, across the road to pave the way for Jesus to come into Jerusalem. Hence, we get the term Palm Sunday from the palm branches that they laid down. Um, and so, uh, so Jesus does this. He comes into town, and it's, uh, it's just a, a, a very exciting time uh, for everybody. And, but uh, the problem is, is that the people kind of misunderstood what they were a part of. Because what they thought was going to happen was that Jesus was coming to set up an earthly kingdom so that, what would they get out of that? They would get riches, because they would have the most powerful king. They would get comfort, because no longer would their enemies be taxing them and taking their stuff from them. Um, They would uh, get laughter and joy and happiness um, because of this great king that was, was taking care of them now. And then, um, and so they see these things, and ultimately they, they find that as a people, they would be popular. They would be the real deal. They would be who everyone wanted to be because of their great king. 
which all ties in to our passage for today. Um, As we're continuing through Luke, what we do here at Potter's House is we systematically work through books of the Bible. And uh, and what this does is it uh, it prohibits me as a pastor um, from skipping over um, some of the hard passages. Um, Some passages may be like the passage today um, that would be easy to skip over. It also prohibits me from just picking um, passages such as today um, to focus on. And so uh, that's what we do as we systematically uh, work through the Bible, and uh, and the passage we're in today is in Luke chapter 6. If you have Bibles or devices and you want to look that up, it's Luke chapter 6, and we're starting in verse 24. Um, And this passage mirrors the passage that we covered last week. Last week, we looked at a passage where Jesus said, um, blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, who weep. Um, Blessed are you when people hate you. Um, on account of the Son of Man. And so we saw that Jesus said that we are actually blessed whenever we endure hardships because we are following Jesus. On the other side of the world this morning, um, I think the latest number I saw was 17 people were killed in Egypt because they went to church this morning. Because they got up and went to church, they have now lost their lives um, because of the radical Islamic terrorist bombed their church building uh, this morning. And so that's what's going on in the world today, and that's what Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you on account of me. Those 17 people, while we feel sorry for them, while we feel sorry for their families, while our heart aches with them, we, those of us who are Christians know ultimately they have received a great reward by their heavenly Father, for laying down their life on account of their belief in Jesus Christ. And so that's why passages like the one we looked at last week are so important for us to understand. Because it helps us make sense of these horrible tragedies and horrible things that happen in the world to our fellow believers, to others who follow the name of Jesus. But today's passage is one that can be a little harder in our culture to understand. Let's go ahead and read it, starting in verse 24. But woe to you, this is Jesus talking, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So we look at this and we say, well, is Jesus really like, basically pronouncing like a curse on us if, if we're rich, um, if, if we have our stomachs full, if we're not needing food, um, if we laugh, um, if people like us. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus saying that's really a bad thing? Um, and I think to understand this, we really need to dig in and, and understand the context that this flows right out of the passage for last week. So Jesus pronounced those blessings on the hardships of life if they come on account of following Jesus. And so he's doing the reverse here. And so if it's he's what he's saying is if you are valuing these things above following me, then woe to you. If you're valuing valuing riches and wealth and all of those things above following Jesus, then that's a problem. And a lot of us, when we, we, we read passages like this, we say, he says, woe to you who are rich. We say, you tell them, Jesus. I mean, those rich people, they need to know 
what you're saying here because they need to look out for other people and um, and they just you know they're the rich people but let's put this into a little bit of, of a context think about the guy who's saying this what earthly possessions did Jesus have at the end of his life when he's hung on a cross the possessions that he had to his name were literally the clothes on his back and those who were hanging him on the cross basically gambled to see who got his clothes. And this is the guy that's saying, woe to you who are rich. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I have a little bit more than the clothes on my back. And I've, I've been blessed to get to go and, and be a part of ministries in different parts of the world at different times. And um, one time I was in Romania, working with uh, the, the Roma people there. Um, they're also known as gypsies. Um, working with the gypsies who, when that, that country was under communist rule, um, these people were the complete outcast. Um, in fact, it was against the law to even take pictures of these people um, because the communist government did not want uh, them or the, the living conditions that they live in uh, to be made known to the world. Um, and so when I was in uh, that that town, um, they, they warned us before going in, if you're going to need to uh, use the, the facilities, um, do so before you go into this town. Um, well, I did, but then, you know, nature called uh, while I was there, not to freak anybody out or weird you out. But then, so I told my translators, like, hey, um, I need a place. And, uh, and so then the town, the, the village people all kind of started talking to, to each other to decide which one of their holes in the ground was the best to take the, the person from the U.S. to. Um, they wanted to find the nicest hole in the ground for me to use, right? So when you think about people living in that context, and then you think about what I have in my life and where I live, what is rich? I've been... I got to go to, to Haiti and, uh, and work with a ministry there, and we were doing um, camps and, and things for kids during the day. And we saw some kids uh, where one kid came one day, and then the next day their sibling came, but they didn't come. And it was like, well, why didn't they come? It's because they only have one set of clothing between them, and whoever had the clothes for the day got to come. And when we, th when we have that kind of a thought of what poverty and riches is, it changes our scale. And I would venture to say in the context of that Jesus is speaking here, most people in this room would be considered very rich if we have a roof over our head. The idea of even indoor plumbing, the idea of clothes, and not only just having an outfit, but having multiple outfits, having outfits we never wear. I think about the whole bag of clothes we have at home to, uh, to, that we need to, to take to donate. And we're just, we're so blessed in our culture with stuff. And yet, when we think about it, and we think about the word rich, we don't usually think of ourselves. We think of people who have more than us, right? Because that's kind of the common theme. I've met some very, very wealthy people in my life, and I don't know many of them that would even call themselves rich, because we always think that the rich people are the people that have more than us. And so when Jesus gives us warnings 
about the rich. I think we need to pay attention. I think we need to listen to what he's saying to us. Is he offering a a condemnation on all of us just because we have stuff? Don't think so. I think the real issue here is what is your heart worshiping? What is your life living for? Jesus is offering woe to you if your whole life amounts to the adding up the stuff, accumulating the stuff, having the most toys. Woe to you if that's where, where you find your joy, your happiness. If that's where it all comes from, then as he says, you have received your consolation. What happens to that stuff? You know, the old, old uh, adage, you know, you, you never see a, a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Like, you can't take it with you, right? And according to the Bible, in the end, what's going to happen to all of it is it's all going to burn. And so it's really kind of a, a fleeting thought to say, I'm going to live my whole life focused on getting as much stuff as I can, right? Whoever has the most toys in the end wins, right? That's kind of the the idea of our culture. But what Jesus says is, man, that's sad. If that's really what we're living for, then that's really sad. So we've looked at how this is kind of interpreted in in light of this, this passage with the fact that Jesus is drawing the comparison with, uh, with those who are blessed because they go through hardships on account of his name. Uh, but look, let's look at this concept kind of in broader in Scripture. Is Jesus saying it's wrong for us to have stuff? Right? Some people have taken this passage, and that's what they say. They say, well, obviously, I'm supposed to live the most minimalistic life possible. Um, if it's beyond the necessities, then I should get rid of it. Um, well, I don't think that's really where Jesus is going either. If we turn over to 1 Timothy, um, Paul uh, is kind of picking up on what Jesus is saying. Paul wrote, of course, after Jesus, and this was after um, the church had, had started. And I think what Jesus knew was is that it was going to be a constant struggle for people on when they have the call to follow Jesus and give their life to him that one of the biggest things that we would struggle with in uh, putting aside is riches in the things of this world. And Paul saw that playing out um, as he was uh, starting churches, as he was spreading the gospel, as he was seeing people come to faith, and then after they uh, would kind of hang around the church thing for a while, the thing that would frequently pull people away was the fact that, uh, I don't really want to follow Jesus so much as I want to have stuff. And so in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, is probably one of the most misquoted passages of Scripture um, in the Bible. I see this like on social media all the time, way misquoted. The Bible says this, but they leave out a very important word. In verse 10, for the love, that's the word that's left out, uh, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So what Paul says is, it's not that the money is evil. It's not that the stuff is evil. It's not that there's something wrong with having wealth or riches or or any of that kind of stuff. But what the problem is, is when it's the love of that that drives you, it's going to drive you away from Christ. It's going to drive you away from God. It's going to pull your heart away. 
And so that's the problem. The problem is not the money. The problem is how the money controls you. The problem is how the stuff controls you. And so, because ultimately what we are created for is to worship our creator. But instead, what we frequently do is worship the created. When I use the word worship, I mean, what do we use our lives to bring glory to? What do we use our lives to make much of? What do we use our time, our energies? What is it that we focus on? A lot of times it's around getting the stuff. Whereas what what Jesus says, it really should be about me. We say, well, that sounds pretty arrogant of him. Well, it's not arrogant if he's really who he says that he is. If he's really the one who created everything, then I think he should have a good say-so in how everything should run and the purpose in which he created it. And so that's not really arrogance. So if God does bless us with riches, if he gives us stuff, how should we handle that? Later in 1 Timothy, Paul says this in verse 17 of chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so that verse really kind of puts it in context what the Bible says about riches. Don't let them control you. Don't let your, the drive for stuff control you. Don't let it be your motivation in life, but instead use what you have for the glory of God. Use what you have to advance God's kingdom. And I know some of you probably are are here today and you're like, you know, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that church thing. They're all just about getting my money. And sure enough, I came here and this guy is just talking about my money and they just want to get my money. Actually, no. We don't want your money. If that, is, if that is a burden for you, if that is a hurdle for you, please do not give any money to this church. We don't want it. We trust God that he's going to provide for our church. He does do that through his people. But if you're here checking out the Christianity thing and checking out Jesus, we would much rather you come sit here, keep all of your money, and hear about Jesus. Okay? So I just want to be clear on that. But I also am challenged with the fact that I am tasked with teaching the Bible. And so when the Bible brings up these issues, such as money, I would be basically unfaithful and a liar if I skip over those passages, right? At the same time, I would be in error if all I did every time you came here was talk about those passages, And I see both errors happening in the church world today. 
I see some pastors who just refuse to even talk on this subject. I see others where literally every time you go, that is all you hear. Um, and it's just about getting money for their, their church, which I think in those kind of situations actually is woe to them who are rich because that is where, that's what they're worshiping is getting the money for their ministry. And so you, you can kind of see where I'm stuck in a hard place here. Right? So on one side, if I leave it out, I mess up. On the other side, if that's all I talk about, I mess up. And so what we do here at Potter's House is we systematically work through the Bible. If the Bible's talking about something else, that's what we're going to talk about. But when it talks about this, we're going to talk about this. Because if it's important enough for Jesus to tell people that, hey, this is important, then I think it's important enough for us to talk about. Right? And so I want to do my job of sharing this truth with you. Um, but if, if you're struggling with this, and maybe this is, is an area in your life where um, stuff is something that, that you worship more than God. I use that, that word worship in a, a context where I hope you understand what I'm saying. If that's what drives your life, then you'll know the best way to, to overcome that. Give stuff away. That's the best way to get rid of that idol in your life is to give it away. There's great ways you can do that. You can give it to the church. Or we will use it for advancing God's kingdom. Uh, we did a great event yesterday um, in our community that was completely a free. Um, that basically our role in being there was just to show love to people, the kind of love that Jesus has shown us. And that was very well received in our community. Um, parents were just blown away. Uh, that they were able to come and bring their kids and have all this stuff, and it was all free. Um, we, you know, we weren't trying to get anything out of anybody or anything like that. We're able to do that because people trust God and they give to this church. And out of that, we're able to do great things like that for our community. But also, there's great ministries around the world that are doing things like clothing those kids in Haiti who don't have clothes. Like building... Um, you know, modern living conditions for people who don't have them. And it's a great thing to support those ministries as well, to give to them. And so by no means am I saying, hey, this is the only place that you should ever give. No. In fact, as a church, we support those ministries. So part of what comes in um, to the offering of this church goes straight out. It doesn't really, you know, as far as like benefiting, it doesn't really benefit our church what it does is it goes out to advance those missions, advance um, ultimately the, king of God, the kingdom of God around the world. And so, so even as a church, we practice this, that it's not just about um, us and, and loving what comes in here, but we want to give it out and give it away as well um, so that it doesn't become an idol um, to us. And so really that's, that's the best way I've found to make sure that wealth and riches are not ruling your life is to give them away. See somebody in need and help meet that need. And I look around this room and I see people who get this. I've seen you in action, giving and taking care of those who are in need. And so I encourage you, keep it up. Keep doing this. Um, because ultimately what we're wanting to say um, is, is that I'm following Jesus above money. But what about these other things? Jesus lists more than just riches. He lists being full, so that's our comfort. Um, 
which frequently in our minds goes right along with the money. So a lot of what I've said about money kind of just applies to that. But then he says to you who laugh, does that mean we're not ever supposed to laugh? No, that's not what it means. It means that that can't become our God. That seeking joy and happiness in this earth cannot be what drives us. In the same way that seeking riches cannot be what drives us, right? Also, popularity. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. If your popularity is what drives you, then there are going to be so many times when you want to follow that instead of follow Jesus. Because there will be times where following Jesus means that the people who are not following Jesus are not going to like that. They're not going to like stands that you have to make. They're not going to like decisions that you make in your life based on what you think Christ would have you do. And that's not popular. It's not what they would do. And so they'll judge you for that. And so what we want to be able to say is that we will follow Jesus over our own popularity and supposed happiness. Um, on this issue of popularity, uh, this is a, another area where we can get things mixed up. Another time I was helping with a ministry um, in uh, Dearborn, Michigan. Um, I don't know if any of you know anything about Dearborn, um, but Dearborn is kind of considered like the Arabic capital of the U.S. Um, uh, tons of people immigrated from the Middle East uh, to Dearborn to work in the auto industry. And so there's a huge uh, Islamic uh, Muslim uh, population there. Um, in fact, it's like the population there is Islamic. Um, and so we were, I was working with a ministry that we were there um, to try to share the truth of Jesus with these people. Now, if you know anything about religion, you know that this could be kind of a touchy subject. Um, uh, Muslims especially uh, do not like people uh, coming to tell them about Jesus. At least their leaders don't. Um, I found the people in Dearborn actually to be very friendly. Um, several of them invited me into their home to discuss the difference in our religions, uh, which was a very nice thing. They were very hospitable um, people, and so very different from uh, what they might get ca categorized on uh, the national media and that kind of stuff uh, relating to uh, the, the, the terrorists and those kind of things. That was usually the first thing they wanted to say, wanted to say about the religion is, we're not like those people. Um, but so we're there for that purpose of sharing Jesus with these people. I was working with a, a ministry that's led by a guy that some of you might have heard of. His name's Josh McDowell. And, uh, and so I was working with him and his ministry there. And, uh, and so he has built a good relationship with this community. And uh, they, every year they have an international Arabic festival. And, uh, and so he actually is, uh, he does everything to get the permits and everything, and he has a booth at their festival um, at which we hand, hand out um, information um, about Christianity. Um, he's just giving, he's an author, and he was just giving out books um, that explain about Christianity and what we believe and the differences um, with Islam. And, uh, and so um, you would think that that might be confrontational. Actually, most of the people were very happy to get a book. Um, several of them got one one day, went home and read it, and came back to talk to us the next day. Um, they were very excited um, about this. And uh, occasionally you'd have the one person that really wanted to come and argue 
and we would just, you know, say, hey, that's really not what we're here for. We're not here to, to argue and cause a scene. We just want to share with you and give you this gift. Um, at the same time, there was another ministry um, that was supposedly there for the same purposes that we were there for, um, and what their approach was very different. Um, they would go and stand on the street corner and scream um, the most offensive things about the Muslim faith that they could possibly scream um, till the point where the police came in and arrested them because they were in, indicting a riot. And, uh, and then they put out on the national media um, about, uh, you know, their freedom of speech being impeded and how they're being persecuted for being Christians and all of this kind of stuff. And I was like literally 100 meters away. Um, I think I was glorifying God and advancing Christ's kingdom and what I was doing. And I had no problems. So what was the difference? The difference was our approach. One group was being very offensive and they were not respecting the people there. And really their main goal was to get arrested and they were successful. Whereas our goal was to connect with people and share the truth of Christ with them. And I think we were successful in that. In our lives as Christians, we need to remember that. When it comes to the popularity thing, some people are, are prone to this side where they want to just be as offensive as possible. And then they take passages like this one and they say, see, Jesus is pleased with me because nobody likes me. And we look at them and we're like, no, nobody likes you because, well, you're just rude, you know? But on the other hand, there are times where you are trying to be as polite and unoffensive as possible, but yet following Jesus means that you stand on the truth that he's given us, and that's going to offend people. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's the difference that Jesus has here. Probably the person um, who suffered the most throughout Christian history for standing on Jesus's word and following Jesus was the Apostle Paul. And in Romans twelve eighteen, he gives us this instruction. Um, he says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul says so much as is possible for you, get along with everybody, right? This is a guy that spent like half of the time that we know about him in prison because he was following Jesus. And he's saying, hey, I know that in following Jesus, you're going to suffer and bad things are going to happen. So don't bring any more of that on yourself. Like, don't go looking for it. As much as it's possible, get along with everyone. So how do we put all this together? We put all this together this way. Following Jesus isn't about riches, comfort, laughter, and popularity. But when we do follow Jesus, he changes all of those definitions and blesses us tremendously with them. When you follow Jesus, you understand a difference about what riches mean. You understand the blessings that he has for us after this life and for all of eternity. Your definitions of comfort change. What you find joy and laughter in changes. Even in seeking popularity, you know 
that he brings along other people besides you. And that's why we have the church. That's why we have one another. People who are living in a way where we are all identifying together and this is what we're here for. And so the things that Jesus brings, is, brings in place of those things that we naturally want to pursue is just far better. And how does he do that? He does that through the cross. He does that through the fact that he came and he laid down his life for us so that we could be made right with God, so that the things like us worshiping our stuff could be forgiven. And because he did that on the cross on Good Friday, he died. Dying a death he didn't deserve because he was the only one who never sinned. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. But the good news is that the free gift of, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so through his death on the cross that was accentuated by his resurrection, proving that he defeated death, he proves to us that he has defeated that death for those of us who place our faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we celebrate Holy Week. That's why Friday Christians from around this, this city will come together at Emmanuel to worship him for what he's done for us on that cross. That's why next Sunday we will come together here in this place and we will worship the fact that he rose from the dead. He defeated death. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to, uh, to thank you uh, for all that you do for us and the way that you have blessed us, the way um, that you blessed us with Jesus and the forgiveness uh, that he brings to us. And God, we just want to uh, love you for that. And uh, Lord, I pray for anyone here who's still sorting through um, Jesus and looking at uh, what, is, what is all of this and trying to understand. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit will just make it clear to them. Lord, for any of us who are really struggling with the, the issue of riches um, in our life, which probably most of us, if we're honest, we do, oh, Lord, help us to not put those things first, but to put you first and to lay those things at your feet and worship you with those things because that's what, what you gave them to us for. And we trust you as our provider. We trust you as the one who gives all good things. And Lord, now we just want to return praise to you uh, for the goodness that you have done in our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.